You're listening to a Share Radio podcast. Welcome to the history of booms, busts, and bubbles. I am Rita Lobo, and with me in the studio is Jan Toporovsky, Professor of Finance and Economics at the School of Oriental and African Studies, University of London. And together we will be discovering what John Maynard Keynes had to say about the Great Depression. John Maynard Keynes was a British economist whose ideas have fundamentally affected the theory and practice of modern macroeconomics and informed the economic policies of governments all over the world. He built on and greatly refined earlier work on the causes of business cycles, and he is widely considered to be one of the founders of modern macroeconomics in the way we think about it today. He is definitely one of the most influential economists of the 20th century, and his ideas are the basis for the school of thought known as Keynesian economics and its various offshoots. Now, Keynesian theory, as we think of it today, was largely developed during and after the Second World War and Keynes's own death. But he started developing some of his most important ideas during the Great Depression and its aftermath. Professor Toporovsky, we tend to think of the Great Depression in terms of the U.S. and the Wall Street crash of 1929, but it affected the U.K. and Europe very much. <clears throat> what was it like in Europe at the end of the 1920s? Well, the, in many respects, the reason why it was such a shock in the uh, U.S. was because the U.S. economy appeared to be jogging along very nicely through the 20s. There'd been an initial uh, downturn after the First World War, but then uh, uh, the, the economy recovered. Uh, Europe, however, was uh, very badly hit in the, in the period after the First World War by uh, not only mass unemployment, but then on top of that, all the problems of uh, debt repayment, uh, all the... Uh, uh, powers, all the governments that had been involved in the war, in the First World War, ended the war with uh, very large debts. And they were debts linked to the price of gold. Um, and this is why the, the really the first question that came up after the war was, how can all those countries get back onto the gold standard? In other words, have their currencies convertible into gold at the same price as uh, before the war, that was uh, so. You you had a whole series of uh, discussions around this, and and in 1925, uh, Britain went back onto the gold standard at the pre-war parity. Uh, now, this was uh, because of wartime inflation. This meant that Britain's exports were uh, hugely uncompetitive, and there was. Uh, pressure to force competitiveness by lowering wages. So you had this uh, uh, this dilemma that uh, they yes they'd got back onto the gold standard. Yes, payments could be made in a respectable currency. International payments could be made uh, in a strong currency, but it was uh, a currency that uh, were, uh, did uh, uh, at an exchange rate which did not ease the the trade position. Uh, Britain itself uh, tried to overcome this by persuading everyone to take wage cuts. And this uh, led to the Great Strike of 1926. There were similar, uh, uh, or the General Strike of 1926, there were similar uh, uh, problems in all the other countries. 
with with mass unemployment uh, developing and uh, pressure to lower wages, resistance to uh, lo- the lowering of wages, uh, l- and and that kind of almost class warfare, uh, really undermining uh, the uh, democratic institutions that people hoped would uh, have become normal by then. So that by the time the 1929 crash hit Europe and caused Brit- uh, Europe's biggest export market to contract, uh, you know, Europe was uh, uh, was really already economically uh, much weakened, and this just pushed Europe over the edge. Well, it's a pretty interesting situation for me in the sense that um, there was high unemployment, but also low wages. Um, in in a typical supply and demand situation, if there's low wages, unemployment tends to go down, and that was not the case after the war because the economies were still so fractured. Yeah. That, that, that's right, and also because with low wages, uh, the uh, uh, it meant that workers, could, uh, you know, there was not demand in the economy. Uh, this is what's sometimes forgotten by proponents of low wages, and there were plenty of them around in the nineteen twenties uh, and thirties. That if you lower wages, uh, they it means that people can uh, cannot afford uh, a, a decent standard of living. And, uh, you know, they'll cut back on consumption. And that's right about the time when um, John Maynard Keynes starts to study the relationship between unemployment, money and prices, exactly this this that you were discussing in the 1920s. That's right. His uh, his initial view was that uh, uh, in the the tract on monetary reform, that uh, the the whole idea was uh, of going back onto the gold standard was crazy. Uh, if they went back onto the uh, gold standard, it, it made exports uncompetitive. Why not uh, ease up on the wages, ease up on uh, trying to get workers to take wage cuts and uh, simply devalue uh, the currency, have a fixed but adjustable uh, exchange rate? And this really remained uh, a, a central theme in his work certainly on international monetary theory uh, right through to uh, Bretton Woods and uh, uh, you know towards the end of his life. And I can imagine that that wasn't particularly well received I mean they have been struggling to get back on the gold standard ever since the end of the war so I don't assume that people were were eager to hear what he had to say were they? Uh, no he uh, I mean it was said that the the city of London and the uh, the financiers were keen to go back onto the gold standard because it meant that uh, their uh, their their assets in sterling were worth more I- in relation to uh, uh, foreign uh, 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 foreign currencies. I'm not so sure about that. I think that that a, a, an important part was still played by this wartime indebtedness, the hangover of wartime indebtedness, which meant that if they'd gone back on to the gold standard uh, uh, at a lower exchange rate, at a, at, at a devalued exchange rate, they would they would have had difficulties in paying off uh, those debts. I mean, they couldn't pay off the debts anyway, but uh, it, it would have made it all the more difficult. So I think there was uh, this uh, uh, element to it. And... um. So we know that the, that uh, 
he was very critical of the Bridget, British government's uh, attitudes towards the gold standard and then and, and then the the measurements that they took during the the Great Depression I mean what were what was the British government doing during the Great Depression to tackle that threat to the economy and why was Keynes so so critical of that uh, the the British government took the view that the best thing that they could do uh, towards uh, stabilizing the situation was to stabilize government finances by balancing the budget, uh, preferably trying to re- uh, pay off the national debt. Uh, this would uh, make, uh, uh, as they thought, more resources available for the private sector and the private sector would then invest more. Uh, what they didn't uh, take into account is the fact that uh, as you, uh, um, if you, uh, if you did this, then uh, the the consequence of trying to balance the budget was that the eco- uh, the economy would move into deflation. And I'll come back to this in a moment, but uh, the other policy that was advocated was one of lowering wages to make uh, exports. Uh, to make production uh, more competitive. And the justification for this was that uh, the uh, if one did this, then all those who are holding money would find that their money would go further. They would buy more goods. Uh, actually, this didn't happen. Anyone that was holding money, uh, obviously the sensible thing then would be not to spend the money, but to wait until prices have gone down even further. If prices are falling, that's what you do. And this is the big danger of deflation. Uh, The other problem of trying to push wages down in this situation is that uh, if prices go down as well, then it increases the real value of debt. Uh, If you owe owe a certain amount of money, let's say £100, and uh, prices fall then uh, prices fall by 20%, then it means that a business has to do 20% more, has to sell 20% more uh, to be able to service its uh, debts. And it it really uh, put a great burden on business uh, at this time. And this burden, of course, was compounded by the fact that the population as a whole wasn't spending, was still unemployed and, and a huge crisis. So what did Keynes propose as an alternative to these measures that weren't very well received anyway? Uh, Keynes's view was that uh, in the first instance that uh, um, money should be made freely available in the financial markets by the uh, uh, Bank of England buying in on a large scale long term uh, securities and this would drive down the rate of interest and if you drove down the rate of interest this might stimulate uh, 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 investment and that w- that was his view in uh, in 1930 uh, th- uh, at the time of the, his treatise on money later on he he became, he realized that this uh, this wasn't going to happen because in 1931 britain did go off the gold standard uh, interest rates fell, um, and it still didn't have the predicted effect, the effect that everyone predicted that businesses would start to invest. So this is when Keynes started advocating more uh, government expenditure, more fiscal stimulus. And he became a, a great proponent of that throughout, throughout his career. And um, 
1933 was one of the first times that he starts to mention the multiplier effect, which uh, refers to the increase in final income ar arising from any new injection of spending. And that also becomes <laughs> quite, quite a big theme um, throughout, throughout um, his work. How did this affect the way that people perceived his work and him? And it was still still not very popular, even though he was re refreshing his ideas. Well, the uh, the idea behind the multiplier is that uh, if the government spends money, uh, those who receive it will save some of that money, uh, uh, but they will spend most of it. And the result w will be that you will get uh, not just the initial spending that the government would do but you'll get a multiple of that spending and if you have a a, a tax system either uh, uh, based on incomes or, or or some kind of sales taxes then uh, the uh, government tax revenue will rise um, so uh, Keynes was actually arguing that in the long run uh, fiscal stimulus pays for itself to some extent, through through this multiplier effect, uh, people were sceptical at that time because uh, this is just so counterintuitive. Uh, if the government spends money, the government's got to get money from somewhere. Uh, obviously, it uh, it either prints money or it borrows money. Uh, but uh, it, you know, it, it the the notion that in the end the money will come back to the, to the government and make the debt more manageable uh, it, it, it was was counterintuitive, and really went against um, what uh, a lot of economists were arguing, particularly monetary economists around uh, uh, a man called Ralph Hawtrey, who was the British Treasury's economist, uh, Hawtrey argued that uh, if the government borrowed money, uh, then it would be uh, crowding out resources that should have been available for private sector investment. Uh, and if it uh, uh, printed the money, then this would be inflationary. In a way, this this has been a, f a fundamental debate in, in British economics in recent in recent years as well, obviously through through. Um, well, a different cause and a different crisis, but there's still this debate if fiscal stimulus yeah. is worthwhile. Um, is it? Um, I think that... Uh, oh, two things to be said about this. One is that um, the uh, fiscal... Uh, the, the, the views of Keynes on this matter are generally uh, rather exaggerated by many of his uh, contemporary followers. Keynes was actually rather conservative about uh, fiscal policy. He believed that the budget should be balanced uh, over the business cycle. Uh, it was his, uh, it was another economist, uh, Hobson, John Hobson, who was much, much more keen on uh, on the kind of fiscal policy and redistribute, uh, uh, redistributional policy that uh, we now are uh, is now associated with uh, uh, Keynesianism. Uh, so Keynes was was rather cautious about this. The second point, uh, really, which has has been very poorly investigated, is the whole question of whether the uh, to what extent uh, uh, fiscal policy, fiscal stimulus, actually works. Uh, there was a famous incident. In um, in 1980, when uh, uh, François Mitterrand was elected 
in France uh, in the uh, in a, in a period of uh, mass unemployment and serious uh, social and political unrest, and he tried uh, he tried to use fiscal policy, and it didn't work, uh, and that was uh, you know. Uh, a lot of Keynesians argue, well, he didn't try hard enough. He should have kept it up for longer. Uh, other people started uh, questioning whether, well, could it really have worked? One of the factors in that experience was the fact that um, France was uh, obliged to maintain uh, a fixed exchange rate with the Deutschmark. And this was being undermined by the fact that as... Uh, demand increased, so France started importing more, uh, had more and more uh, difficulty financing its trade deficit. So these issues also arise. But I, I but I would say uh, finally that there is uh, both Keynes uh, and a number of other economists argued that in actual fact, what's important is the spending, quite how you balance the budget uh, is really depends on the incidence of taxation it should be perfectly possible to uh, balance a budget by let's say introducing a capital levy a tax on uh, on capital or or wealth uh, which would have very little effect on expenditure uh, but would balance the budget effectively uh, and and still give the budget a, a, a stimulus effect. So it was in the early 1930s, um, so during the height of the Great Depression, that Keynes' work started to be really noticed by the UK and the US governments as well. Um, It's said that a copy of his um, The Means to Prosperity in 1933 was sent to President Roosevelt, and they say he enjoyed it. Um, However, he still was a very diverse... um, Opinions about him were too diverse still back then, but this was the a period where he amassed influence, I guess, that would pave the way to his future work and career. Uh, to some extent, but again, this is uh, this is sometimes exaggerated. The big influence on Roosevelt and his economic policy was actually that of uh, Hobson, uh, J. A. Hobson, um, because it, uh, Hobson believed that what caused depressions was oversaving because of uh, the inequality uh, uh, of income. Now, uh, this uh, 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 Hobson had a huge influence, much bigger influence in America than he had uh, in Britain. Uh, Keynes himself did write uh, to Roosevelt, and I've seen his uh, uh, his very long letter to uh, to Roosevelt, advising Roosevelt on. Uh, uh, on what Roosevelt should do in the depths of the recession uh, of the depression, and I've also seen Roosevelt's very polite response back to Keynes. I mean, he, they did meet, uh, but I think uh, the the problem for Keynes was that uh, uh, Keynes was regarded as something of a maverick, and already because of his book, The Economic Consequences of the Peace, as uh, being too pro-German and this is why he uh, sometimes his influence uh, was uh, not as great as as we now think it is. And in in terms of Keynes himself how did this period influence his later work? Uh, How his later work 
really was concerned with uh, 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 during the war was concerned with wartime finance and with uh, the international monetary arrangements uh, after the wartime period. Uh, and that's what we remember him by the the most these days. That's what we discuss the most is the the post war period here in Britain and his his academic work then. Yes, that's right. But uh, you see, uh, the problem was that Keynes died in 1946. Immediately, uh, 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 virtually uh, as soon as the war was finished, uh, and uh, 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 all the the policies of the post war Labour government, which were uh, uh, declared to be um, Keynesian were actually f- uh, far from Keynesian. I mean, Ke- uh, or certainly were not policies that Keynes would have uh, liked. Uh, Keynes was certainly not in favour of nationalisation of uh, a British industry in the same way that the Labour government was. Uh, he was deeply, deeply concerned about, he, he even opposed uh, the beverage plan for unemployment uh, insurance because he thought that this uh, this would be too big a burden uh, on the taxpayer. Uh, they, they were uh, Keynes, in fact, was very very cautious in his uh, uh, financial policies. So, in actual fact, I, I prefer to say that the the, the post war period, uh, what were in the post war period, what were called Keynesian policies were more like the policies of uh, of John Hobson. So Keynesianism, as we define it today, really isn't what Keynes defined it himself in his no, lifetime. Uh, no, he, uh, uh, no, Keynes was much, much uh, uh, more cautious uh, 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 about those policies. The one thing about uh, Keynes um, was that he was actually remarkably honest about uh, the problems that uh, the uh, capitalist economies faced uh, at that time, in a way that uh, a, a lot of economi- other economists weren't, uh, they deluded themselves that there was a quick monetary fix, or as soon as prices adjusted, then we'd get back to full employment. All this kind of thing. Keynes had no such illusions, and I think that that's what made him such a great economist. And in terms of his work during the Great Depression, what is the enduring legacy of that that period in his work? I think his enduring legacy is that we uh, understand that economies will not naturally go back to full employment. There was a period from the 1870s uh, through to the 1930s when uh, most established economists believed that the uh, the economy, if you had sufficient wage flexibility, if you had sufficient price flexibility, the economy would naturally go back to uh, full employment. Keynes showed that this wasn't the case. In fact, that output and employment depended on the level of investment in the economy, and that's what you needed to sustain. Uh, that's what you need to sustain by fiscal and monetary policy. And these are lessons that endure to today, I guess, whenever we're discussing fiscal stimulus and uh, monetary policy today. Exactly. And in particular, I think what's what's forgotten that uh, behind the present uh, uh, economic problems uh, are not just uh, that uh, uh, the debt problems of governments, but also uh, the failure of the private sector to invest adequately.
That was Professor Jan Toporowski, Professor of Finance and Economics at SOAS, University of London. And that's all the time we have for today, I'm afraid. You have been listening to the history of booms, busts and bubbles here on Share Radio. (laughs) 